come on and pray with me. He went ashore. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man, woman, boy, and girl of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Father, we pray that you would use this time to teach us, reprove us, correct us, train us, make us capable and equipped for the works that you've given us to do. Grow us more in the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to follow in the footsteps of your saints as they followed you and be fruitful by proclaiming the transforming love of our Savior to a dying world. And we pray that you would use us and you would cause the word of Christ to dwell in us richly so that we may teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. This we ask through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with you and the Holy Ghost be all honor and all glory, world without end. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I do give honor to the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the head of my life, to the angel of this household, uh, Father Alex, to his lovely wife, the First Lady, Jody, to all of the saints assembled here, I bring you greetings from St. Peter's Anglican Cathedral. When I look out on the congregation uh, and I see your smile, or what I presume to be smiling faces, right? Um, I'm reminded of what Brother David said in the 133rd Psalm, behold how good and pleasant it is to dwell with brothers in unity. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing of life evermore. I was drawn to today's gospel reading uh, for our preaching time together today. And as I think about the reading, as I thought about it in preparation, a story uh, that I heard a few years popped into my mind. There was an atheist who was walking through the woods and admiring all of the accidents that evolution had created. What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals. He said all this stuff to himself, and as he was walking, walking along the river, he heard a rustling a little far away from him in the bushes. And when he turned and looked, he saw a seven-foot grizzly standing up on his haunches, staring him right in his eyes. Now, even though the bear looked emaciated, like he just woke up from hibernation, he knew that the bear was hungry and dangerous. Atheists knew that he could make any sudden, sudden movements for fear that the uh, bear would start to chase him. He would entice him to start following after him. So he began to back away slowly from the bear, but the bear went down on all fours, and the more he backed away, the more the bear pursued. And as the atheist backed up, he stepped on this twig. And I don't know what happened, but the sound of that twig just set something off in the bear. The bear started charging towards him. He ran as fast as he could down the path, and he looked over his shoulder, and he saw that the grizzly was starting to close in, and he looked over his shoulder again, and his heart was pounding. He tried to run faster, and he tried to, like, peek over his shoulder again to see where the bear was, and then he tripped over a stump and fell. Now, as he rolled to get over to get up, he was on his back. 
but he was face to face with this bear, seven foot grizzly. All of a sudden, his life began to flash before his eyes, he says, you know. Few flashes were of Christians who treated him with dignity and respect and care, but the bear was ready to jump up and pounce on him. And even though the man didn't accept God himself, he said, well, maybe I'll figure that God can do something if he existed, and then he can go back to his normal life. So as panic struck, the man screamed out, God, if you really exist, please make this bear a Christian. <laughs> now, almost before his very eyes, it was like a miracle was happening. The bear stopped in midair, put his paws together and prayed, Dear Lord, I was hungry all week, but I want to thank you for this meal that I'm about to receive. <laughs> what I'm trying to let you know today is that God can provide for you even in difficult circumstances. If you would allow me, I'd like to use as a title for this talk, God's Provision in Uncertain Times. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's provision. Oh, y'all ain't talking to me today. Come on, Father Alex. Say, I turn to your neighbor and say, God's provision, God's provision. in uncertain times. Y'all going to have to talk to me today or it's going to be a long sermon. <laughs> and this is what we see in our gospel reading today. Come with me to the gospel according to St. Matthew, uh, the 14th chapter, if you have it starting at the 13th verse, Matthew 14, 13. The word of God reads as thus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in the boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Now your first question when you're reading us ought to be, what is going on? When Jesus heard what exactly? Now, if you go back just one section in your Bibles, you'll see that John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, was killed by Herod the Tetrarch at the behest of his niece, at the instigation of his sister-in-law. It's a crazy scene. Go back and read it. So the scene in our gospel today opens up with Jesus attempting to go away to a desolate place. Now, the Bible doesn't say specifically here, but in our holy imagination, it's not a far stretch for us to think that Jesus is trying to mourn the death of his cousin. But by the time that this is happening, Jesus' fame spread throughout the land. It spread so far because he taught as one who had authority. It spread throughout the land, and his fame increased because he cleansed a leper. He healed a centurion's servant. He calmed the raging sea. He cast out demons. He healed a paralytic. He restored the life of a little girl who lay dead. He healed a woman with an issue of blood. He gave sight to the blind. He gave speech to the mute and restored a man's withered hand from birth. And so, as he tries to get away for just a few moments... The crowds rushed to seek him. It's because of how he loved these people, how he touched them. His fame spread abroad. They just wouldn't let him alone. But then something convicting happens. Come with me to verse 14. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
Well, that seems innocuous enough. So, Father Christopher, why is this convicting? I find it so convicting because it is in direct opposition to my natural instincts and inclinations. Can I talk freely with you here today? Now, I know this doesn't apply to all y'all. I get it. But there are times in my life when I've stayed up late, I woke up early, worked a long day, had a difficult time at work, came home to take care of a little puppy, looked after my own needs, my own cooking, my own cleaning, worked on a Bible study, worked on a sermon, worked on a talk, then tried to go home and uh, do some other projects that I needed to do. But if y'all were real with me today, and can we, I imagine we can talk about this thing. If y'all were real with me today, you'd have to admit that there are some days that y'all have had where you've had to fight with your husband, you had to deal with children who raised your blood pressure, you had some in-laws who do, I see some look, don't look, don't look at them, don't look at them, look straight ahead, you're giving it away, don't look at them. You had to fight with your husband, children who raised your blood pressure, in-laws who did the same, chores that kept stacking up, and projects that you wanted to tend to, but it was so difficult to do anything else because you were so tired, and so to look at somebody with compassion was something hard to do. And you ain't got to say amen, but you can say ouch. It's hard to get the full thrust of what's happening here in English. But the word that's translated compassion here is the Greek word splanchnizo. Turn to your neighbor and say splanchnizo. That's a good job. Splanchnizo can be accurately translated as compassion, but it's much deeper than that. Splanchnizo literally means to feel in the viscera to be moved to one's bowels. In other words, when Jesus saw these people, he wasn't just moved deeply, he was moved to the core of who he is. What do you feel when you see people who are less fortunate than you, people who don't have the hope of a savior who died for them? What do you feel when they're making their beds in the streets, the ones that you know that at night they don't have a door that they can lock up? Are you deeply Moved? Are you moved to your bowels? Are you moved to your core for these people? Now that's in the Greek, but our English word compassion comes from the Latin word come, meaning with, and passio, meaning to suffer. So when Jesus looks out on the crowd, he suffers with the crowd. He suffers with them because he sees people who are in need of help and healing. And when you see your neighbor or your coworker and you know their situation, or when you you see some stranger on the street and you can see their situation, are you being moved by their brokenness, identified with their pain, empathetic to their hurt and their pain and their suffering? Are you suffering with them? Does your heart hurt because their heart is hurting? It's time out for Christianity that has proper head knowledge but fails to have proper heart knowledge. It's time out for orthodoxy without orthopraxy. It's time out for apathy and indifference to people who are made in the image and likeness of God just like we are. It's time out for playing church and it's time in for being the church. Y'all ain't got to talk to me today. I'm setting myself on fire. 
But the disciples, the disciples don't quite understand what's going on. You see this in the gospel. They sometimes take a long time to catch on to what Jesus is doing. Come on down with me to verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They, the disciples, said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. All around the world, millions upon millions upon millions of people face hunger. Even here in this country of ours, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, up to 11% of U.S. citizens lived in households that were food insecure in recent years. You heard me correctly. Here in the United States of America, upwards of 14 million, 14 million citizens struggled with hunger in the past couple of years. And that's physical hunger. But I would posit to you that even more people struggle with spiritual hunger. People aren't being fed. What's going on? How is it that these people aren't being fed? Is it that there's not enough food to go around? Well, with the estimates that we can currently see, Americans waste 40 million tons, not 40 million pounds, 40 million tons of food every year. So it seems unlikely that there's not enough food to go around. Better yet, what about spiritual hunger? Pew Research study found that out of the adult U.S. population, 19.6 had no religious affiliation and an additional 16% identified as neither spiritual nor religious. And if you think about it, it's not just those 36% who are identified in the study because the Pew Research, they didn't uh, make a distinction between the 64% of believers who could be Jews, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, whatever. There's spiritual hunger in this country. What in the world is the problem? Why aren't people being fed? Friends, I'm here to admit today that the problem is me. But the problem is also you. If we were honest with ourselves, our reaction would be just like that of the disciples. Jesus tells them to feed the people, but they respond by telling Jesus how much they lack, by telling him how much they don't have. But the problem with both the disciples then and the disciples now is that we're trying to do these things in our own strength. Sometimes we look around and we see how much money the world has. We see how much power and influence the world has. And we look at ourselves and we see that we don't have the same kind of funds in our bank accounts. We don't carry the same kind of power in our spheres of influence in the world. But I'm here today to tell you that if Jesus is working it out on our behalf, we don't need to send crowds away to be fed. They don't need to go off and fend for themselves. 
as long as disciples had then and we have now the all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-loving, all-wise God, where else can people go for a meal? Come on, look with me. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Bring those five barley loaves and two little fish and see what God can do. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to them. He gave it to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And watch this. They all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces that were left over. Now, remember that the disciples told Jesus that the people should go home because they were in a desolate place, a place where they didn't have ready access to nourishment. But what they failed to realize is that where Jesus is, nourishment can't help but follow. In the 55th chapter of Isaiah, the Bible says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your label for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, watch this, here that your soul may be saved. Notice that there's an intermingling, there's an interplay between physical nourishment and spiritual nourishment. When you think Isaiah is talking about physical food, you realize that he's actually talking about spiritual food. Jesus uses the same technique in Luke chapter 11 when he's teaching his disciples about God's provision. He says, what father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What Jesus is saying is that if all of y'all broken and damaged and sinful creatures can give something good to your children, what do you think God can do who is defined by love? In the same way, Jesus is using the tangible to teach about the intangible in that story. He's using the material to teach about the immaterial when he feeds the crowds. Okay, Father Christopher, I understand how he's teaching, but what is he teaching? I'm glad you're asked. You're astute today. When the disciples brought Jesus what food they could find, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. Then he broke the five loaves and gave it to his disciples. Mm -hmm. Then he blessed it and he gave it to them. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed the five loaves and the two fish. Then he broke the five loaves. Then he gave it to his disciples. Okay, he took them, he blessed them, he broke them, and then finally he gave them. Okay, wait, let me try this side. He took them, he blessed them, he broke them, and finally he gave them. Thank you, somebody. For those of y'all who are looking at me funny, let me just cut to the chase here. On Jesus' last night with the disciples, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. 
And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, we see the interplay, we see the intermingling between physical food and spiritual reality. And the point that Jesus is trying to get across is that he is our provision in uncertain times. Yes, the crowds may have been in a desolate place at that time when they wouldn't be able to find food. And some of you, because of COVID-19, because of the untimely death of the marginalized in our society, because of the loneliness and the isolation, because of the fear and the fear-mongering that you see on an almost daily basis, you may feel like you're in a desolate place in uncertain times. But I came by here today to tell you that you don't need to feel that way because Jesus can be your sustenance. Jesus can be the bread of life for which you'll hunger no more. He can be the well of water that will spring up to everlasting life. Jesus can be your provision in times like this. The songwriter says, in times like this, you need a savior. In times like this, you need an anchor. So be sure, be very sure that your anchor holds and grips that solid rock. Who is Jesus? Y'all better talk to me today. Jesus can be your all and all. He can be your food when you're hungry, your water when you're thirsty. God can do it. He can fill you up like no one else can. He can fill you up like no one else can. And if you don't know Jesus today, whether it's by the airways or sitting right here, we're going to bow our heads in just a second. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or clap or dance or jump or do anything. But I want to give you a chance to recommit yourself to the Lord and to his people. And I'm taking this commitment right along with you. For those of you who do know the Lord and are here today, we come to the altar. You'll get to see again. You'll get to see afresh Jesus' body being taken, blessed, broken, and given for you and for the life of the world. Let's pray. Most holy and divine Savior God, we thank you for your love and your kindness, God, for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, it's a day that you've created. Lord, help us to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I ask that right now if there's any among us here and this building, Lord, or uh, watching us through the interwebs, Lord, that you would be with them right now, God. That you would be speaking to them into their heart, Lord God. Lord, that they would be in surrender, God, for you. Lord, I ask that you would remove any blockades, any mental barriers, Lord God, anything that would stop them from coming to you, Lord. Lord, I ask that even right now, even right now, their prayer would be that they give up their ways and they'll follow you, Jesus. Lord, I ask for those of us, Lord, who are already walking with you, God, that you would help us to recommit ourselves, Lord God, to you and to your mission in this world, Lord, spreading your gospel and feeding your people. Lord, feed us spiritually, Lord, when we come to your table and help us along the way. We need you, God, right now like never before. 
God, we praise you. We magnify your holy name. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. We ask in the holy, the mighty, the powerful, and the matchless name of your only Son and only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.